Are you ready to make the right moves and unlock your passion? Welcome to From the Inside Out with your host, Carla D. Walker. To be your best self in your personal life and your business life, all you need to do is look within yourself. Now, here is Carla D. Walker. Good morning, world. How are you today? It is a beautiful day here in the Sunshine State and so happy to be here with you and celebrating, getting ready to celebrate the holidays. Can you believe we are one week away from Christmas? I just don't know where the year has gone. It, things just seem to have gone so quickly. Um, we've got to pay and focus more attention to our lives and make sure we're living our best lives. Uh, but I want to welcome you today to our show. Uh, just a quick programming note for you. Uh, the next two weeks, uh, we're going to uh, rebroadcast uh, one of our earlier shows. Uh, on the 25th, we're going to rebroadcast Exploring Your, Your Life's Purpose with Miss Elmer Lucille Allen. Uh, the the uh, wonderful woman who's 87 years old and still doing it, still kicking it. And uh, she gives some words of wisdom and talks about her life. And then on January 1st, we're going to do part two of that, where we get more deeply into that and associate that with Abraham Maslow's um, uh, theory. So I'll talk about that again at the end of the show, but just wanted to let you know that that will be coming up over the next two weeks. Today, I have a very exciting guest, um, and our topic today is navigating through the spectrum, living with autism. My guest is Derek Volk, uh, and Derek and his family have lived through, uh, or I should say, are living through the spectrum uh, of autism, and we're going to talk about that and Derek has written a wonderful book called Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum. And Derek's going to talk to us about that. We're also going to um, get into some more discussion around what is autism really? I mean, what does that really mean? Uh, and uh, what are some resources or some things maybe that you, if you are going through the spectrum yourself, here are some things that Derek's family did. Here are some other things that maybe uh, you may be able to do as well, resources or strategies uh, to help you and your family navigate through that spectrum. And, um, and as well as listening to Derek's story, and as you're listening to it, uh, I think it's a very heartwarming story because I think people think of autism as almost a death sentence, as though uh, perhaps it's the end of life. And it is not. It is not. Now, uh, just a little fun, just little facts about autism uh, that we know. Uh, one in about 69 children are diagnosed with autism and one in four boys excuse me, one in 42 boys are diagnosed uh, with autism. Uh, it's um, surprising to me that boys are diagnosed more with autism than girls are. Uh, and on the average, uh, autism 
cost the family more than $65,000 a year. Uh, So I can imagine that is quite an expense uh, when you think about raising a child without a developmental disorder uh, is costly. Adding the developmental disorder uh, can put also a lot of pressure on a family. And that more than 200,000 cases are diagnosed every year in the United States, at least. So um, imagine that. And I also want you to think uh, during this hour, every 11 minutes, someone receives a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. So if you think about that, before the end of our show today, we will have five more people, at least, who have been diagnosed with this disorder. So I thought, wow, if you start adding that up, um, that becomes really, really amazing and says that we have something here that maybe we need to continue to shine a light on and get more resources, get more help, and a better understanding of this disorder. So what I want to do, what I'm going to do now is introduce you to our guest, Derek Volk. And Derek is the author of the internationally acclaimed Amazon bestseller, Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life, Raising a Son on Autism. Derek is a Maine businessman, supporter of autism awareness, a volunteer and philanthropist, who, although his family was recently named the 2015 Spurwink Humanitarian of the Year. He is the owner of Volk Packaging Corporation, is a third generation corrugated box manufacturer in Biddleton, Maine. And his company currently has several employees who are on the autism, autism spectrum. He's a speech communications major at the University of Maine in Orno. And Derek has always been comfortable speaking to an audience since since 2012, Derek has hosted a Saturday morning talk show on WLOB 100.5 FM in Portland, Maine. His show can be heard online at www.derekvolkshow.com and through podcasts available on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, Derek has been happily married to his high school sweetheart, Amy, for 29 years. As State Senator Amy Volk recently retired after serving four terms in the Maine legislature where she fought for interest in those with special needs. Amy and Derek are the proud parents of four children. Their son Dylan is 27 years old and the inspiration behind Chasing the Rabbit. In November of 2018, Dylan released his own memoir, Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism. They also have three daughters, Mariah, Lily, and Serena. So more information about Derek's book is available at www.chasingtherabbit.org. And without further ado, I want to say hello to Derek. Hi, Derek. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You are very, very welcome. Thank you for coming on to our show and sharing your story about navigating through the spectrum with uh, with my audience. My pleasure. 
The uh, the numbers have actually just been changed. The CDC recently came out that it's now one in forty. Oh wow! Yeah, one in, yeah. one in forty children. One in forty it's, children, and wow. sixty five thousand dollars a year is. Uh, uh, I think there's some years that that would be that would have been a nice break. <laughs> oh, well, imagine some some people who only make twenty thousand a year. And they have a child with autism. I don't know how they. I, it's 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 a huge burden to anybody. It doesn't, you know. I mean, unless you're a Kennedy, it's a huge burden for anybody. Yeah, I, I just want to give some context a little bit as well to sure, my uh, pleasure to it. So, uh, as I understand it, there are three types of this disorder: it's autism disorder, which is the classic one. Then there's Asperger syndrome, and then there's pervasive development disorder. Non, what is it? Not, not otherwise specified. <laughs> Think of how right. they identified it uh, of this order. How, can you give us a little idea or uh, about one? Let's tell us a little bit about your family, and and when you noticed something was different about Dylan. Sure, and uh, so yeah, Dylan was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which which interestingly, has now been taken out of the DSM. So if there is okay. no actual such thing as Asperger's syndrome. The reason for that is kind of interesting. The, the state of California, their law said that you could, that they, the schools only had to help and give services to children with autism. And wow. so they kind of use that as a technicality and schools throughout the gigantic state of California said that the, all the parents who were diagnosed with, with Asperger's, hey, sorry, nothing we can do to help you. Wow. So because California has so much influence, they got the DSM to eliminate Asperger's, change the terminology to high-functioning autism, and all those parents could then go to the school and say, okay, now you got to help my kid. So there is actually, it's interesting. We have a lot of people still call it Asperger's, but um, <laughs> there's actually no such thing as Asperger's anymore, which is unfortunate, but, I, but I'm glad for the people in California. So my story uh, started, uh, my wife and I had Dylan when we were seniors in college on purpose. I always make sure I mention that. We, okay. were, we, were, we were married and decided that we wanted to try to have a baby and uh, with the idea that if we were able to conceive, I would be able to have six months as a stay-home dad before I graduated, which was wonderful and a blessing uh, that I, I just couldn't imagine uh, looking back and not having with him. So, Dylan was was born. Everything seemed perfectly fine. There were really no issues at all. Um, and when Dylan was two, my wife was a stay home mom. I was working in the family business, which I now own. I came home from work one day. She sat me down and she said, "Something's not quite right with Dylan." Hmm. And I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Well, I don't know, but..." what it is, but when there's other kids over here and they're playing and interacting and doing, you know, communicating at whatever level it is that two and a half year olds communicate at, he doesn't. It's like he doesn't even care or notice that they're in the room. 
and it just doesn't seem right to me. I went to the immediate default that most dads do, which is, oh, he's fine. He's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. You're overreacting. Don't worry about it. And um, as most people know, moms are smarter than dads. And she's like, no, there's something not right here. And, you know, it's concerning. Um, So I then went to my next default, which was, well, that's just because he's way smarter than those kids, and that's why he doesn't want to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. And that also didn't pass muster with my bride, so she was like, no, that's not it either. Um, but in my head, that made perfect sense. Dylan was a very unusual little boy. Hmm. Um, he had very unusual interests. He was When he was two, he was obsessed with vacuum cleaners. Um <laughs> Which is, he was, he actually, his favorite present at two years old for Christmas was a photo album with pictures of vacuum cleaners in it. And we used to spend weekends going to department stores just to look at the vacuum cleaners. (laughs) So that was kind of unusual, but we just thought it was cute. He also, when he was about 15 months, he kind of stopped adding words. He had like nine or 10 words. Mm -hmm. And then at about 23 months, 20, maybe 26 months or so, he reached up on the bookshelf one night when I was putting him to bed, and he said, how about this book? And I said, what? And he said, how about we read this book tonight? And he went from nine to ten words to full grammatically correct sentences the next day. And to the point where... You know how a lot of two-year-olds, they talk, and only the parents and the siblings have any idea what the heck the kid is saying? Exactly, Dylan, yes. Dylan had such incredible diction that everybody could understand everything he said to the point where he, he talked like he was 14 years old. It was really weird. But we just thought, hey, wow, this is really cool. We got a kid who, you know, can talk really well, and he's right. really smart. And Dylan is very smart. He's now 27 years old and still very smart. Mm-hmm. But that was the beginning. Uh, we didn't know what to do with all this information. And as time went on, he started having meltdowns, and the special interests become more and more obsessive. When these kids with Asperger's have something that they're super, super hyper-focused on, like vacuum cleaners, they call them special interests. And he became so. So, Derek, I just want to ask you: Did when you took yeah, him to when you took him to a doctor, or did you go to the doctor when your do- when your wife said, "Hey, there's something a little different from from Dylan uh, as opposed to other children"? Did you take him to a doctor? Did you? What did you do? We talked to our a doctor about it, uh-huh. uh, but honestly, it was two thousand. It was nineteen ninety three. Yeah, and the Asperger diagnosis didn't even exist until 1994. So okay. in 1993, we could have taken him literally anywhere in the world and not been given the correct diagnosis because okay. it didn't even exist. Okay. So nobody really knew what to make of him, um, and that continued for many, many years okay. because there just wasn't a lot of knowledge. In fact, I was I spoke at a local library a week and a half ago and a woman came up to me after and she 
thanked me and she thanked Dylan and especially Dylan. She said, I want to thank Dylan for going through what he went through because mm-hmm. when my son went through the same school system, they were terrific. Okay. And he paved the way because we did not have a good experience because okay. they had absolutely no idea what to do with this kid. Mm-hmm. And they'd never dealt with anybody like him. Um, they didn't know anything about Asperger's. So by the time her kid got through the per- got to high school and middle school and wherever, four or five years later, mm-hmm. Dylan had paved the way. And okay. so we like to joke that he was the Lewis and Clark of our school system. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So uh, now were you staying, were you the stay at home dad at this point or was your wife staying at home? No, I was working in my family business, which I now okay. own. And uh-huh. my wife was a, was a stay home mom. And okay. at the time that she recognized when she first recognized that there was an issue with Dylan, uh, she was already pregnant with my uh, my first daughter. So we have four okay. children now. Okay. They're okay. Boy, and, boy and three girls. So how did your family's life change after Dylan's diagnosis? Well, um, so we went six years without a diagnosis. From the time that he was two, and Amy said there's something not quite right with Dylan, he was eight before we got the Asperger's diagnosis. In that, in the meantime, we were bounced around from diagnosis to diagnosis. Uh, we used to call it the Diagnosis of the Month Club. Um, mm-hmm. It was more like Diagnosis of the Year because we would get, it would take us like six months to get into one of these, quote, experts, and then they would spend three or four months trying to figure them out, and then, lo and behold, whatever they specialized in is exactly what they diagnosed them with. So we would look up and learn about that diagnosis only to find out that it didn't really fit all the, it didn't explain, you know, we would go get a book about that issue, that topic, the diagnosis, OCD, Tourette's syndrome, pervasive disorder, whatever, and my wife would read about that book and that diagnosis and then she I would say, Well, you know, what do you think? And and she said, Well, it kinda of describes Dylan, but it doesn't connect all the dots. I don't think this is what we're looking for. And okay. then we would go look for another diagnosis and try to figure out what the heck was going on. Uh Dylan was having significant meltdowns, uh basically a temp- temper tantrum on steroids hmm. and we just didn't know what to do with him. Uh, we had a camp. He got kicked out of a camp uh, with a camp. The director of the camp called and told us, uh, called me at work and said, you need to come pick up your son. He's a monster. Oh, he was no. five. He was five years old. Um, so it was, it was a pretty rough time. And by the time he was diagnosed, we had three children. And... Um, Getting the diagnosis by that mm-hmm. time was a relief. So most very most people don't get an autism diagnosis and feel relieved. We were relieved because when we got the Asperger's diagnosis and started reading about it, we were like, oh, my God, something finally makes sense. We finally have something that explains 
what is going on with Dylan. And okay, there. Like I'm going to stop you right there. Wife, we're getting ready to go. We're going to head into a break. Okay, and when no we problem. come back on the other side, let you finish that and then talk about, uh, we're going to talk about why you decided to write your book. Awesome. Okay, we're going to go to break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you sometimes feel powerless over your own life? Does it seem like you're living for someone else, unsure of what your purpose is, or if you even have an important voice? It's time to take back that control. Tune in to Empowered with Des and Jen. They've been in the same place and have learned to regain control of their lives. They also feature amazing guests who share experiences of how they have found success. Start on your journey by listening Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune into From the Inside Out. To reach Carla Walker or her guest today, call us at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Carla Walker from the Inside Out at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hey, welcome back. We were talking with Derek Volk and the author of Chasing the Rabbit. And he was just uh, telling us a story, telling us about uh, uh, Dylan and his son, who has uh, a high. What did you say? High. High functioning, functioning autism. autism. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was getting ready to say Asperger <laughs> syndrome, and you said no, that's not that anymore. Uh, uh, and I want Derek's gonna. Um, finish up on that story, but I also want him to talk about uh, his book for us and um, uh, uh, 
how it may help uh, others of you who may be um, navigating through the syndrome or just starting this journey um, uh, and give you some resources and other tips and th- through the uh, experiences that they've had. So, uh, Derek, go ahead. So, the yeah, we left off. I was, I was talking about getting the diagnosis. So, we got the diagnosis, and it, it was actually kind of a relief because... Yeah. Well, we read a book about it. My wife said, this is amazing. Every time it says the child or he, she, you could almost put Dylan's name in it. So we thought, okay, this is awesome. Now we have, now we have something that explains everything, and we're good to go. But it wasn't that easy. Um, it, people still didn't really know a whole lot about it. If you, if you read my book, Chasing the Rabbit, which you can get at chasingtherabbit.org, yeah. you'll find that... From diagnosis after, we got not a lot of advice. In fact, we got, in some cases, horrible advice uh, because people just did not know what to do. And Dylan is a very, very complicated young man. Uh, He was a very complicated kid. I mean, almost every place we went, every program he was in, every school he went to, every camp he went to, they Every counselor he worked with, they all said the same thing. He is the most complicated person I've ever we've ever had to deal with, or the most difficult mm-hmm. in some cases is the word they would use. In fact, I had one counselor who said to us, "I've worked with almost eight thousand people in my career, and mm-hmm. Dylan is the most complex person I've ever worked with." And mm-hmm. I said, "Well, are you alright with that?" And he said, "Oh, it's great." He said, I think he's fascinating. <laughs> I said, yeah, he's fascinating, all right. That's, uh, and, he's, and he's fascinating, and he's never boring. Um, so m- my book, Chasing the Rabbit, is, and the reason I call the book Chasing the Rabbit is because I've always described Dylan as like a greyhound, and the rabbit is normal. So if you picture a greyhound race, they run around the track, and they chase this mechanical rabbit, they can see it, and they run really fast, and they will exhaust themselves to try to catch it, but the greyhound never catches the rabbit, and that's Dylan. And the rabbit is normal, and he runs and runs and runs, but it's always just out of his reach, and it's a very frustrating way to go through life. So I wrote the book. I actually sat down to write a business book. I heard a voice that I believe was God, uh, not audible, but it felt audible in my head, say, that's not the book you're supposed to be writing. You're supposed to write a book about Dylan. Mm. And I was like, what the heck was that? Because I've never heard God's voice before uh, or since. And I started writing a book about Dylan. I just sat down and started writing. And before I knew it, I had um, a 263-page memoir about my life raising Dylan. And um, it has been just an an amazing experience. The book, if anybody reads the book, you'll find that it's extremely, the the words that people always say is that it's extremely raw, brutally honest. Those are the most, we have 195 reviews on Amazon, 185 five stars and 10 four stars. And Mm -hmm. the repeated thing you hear, you read all the time is how raw and honest it is. And, I'll tell you, the reason that is, is because I didn't think anybody was ever going to read this thing. I figured (laughs) I would write this book. I would tell Dylan about it. He would say, there's no way you're telling everybody all that stuff. And it would 
go on a thumb drive, sit in my top drawer, and I'd show it to my grandkids someday. Um, and that was that'd be the end of it. And it it was just something I felt that God was calling me to do. And now I really feel very much that everything we went through with Dylan was because this book was part of God's plan mm. for us to go share our story in front of, we've now done over a hundred presentations around the country. We're booked to go to Savannah, Oklahoma, Missouri, um, to speak and tell our story, share our story. Uh, the impact it's had on audiences has been unbelievable. Dylan is an absolute rock star <laughs> and people can't get enough of him to the point where, Throughout my book, there are what are called Dylan's takes. So there's Dylan's perspective of what I just wrote about. And um, because he was totally supportive of this book, which I never saw coming. And people read these Dylan's takes. And the most common thing that people tell me that they wish they could have got out of my book is more Dylan takes. And so Dylan. Is that why Dylan wrote a book? That's why Dylan wrote his book, because people were dying for more Dylan. So (laughs) Dylan's book, which is called Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism, is available at badchoicesmakegoodstories.com, badchoicesmakegoodstories.com. And if you uh, go to badchoicesmakegoodstories.com, you can buy Dylan's amazing book, which just came out a month ago, so it's hot off the presses. And you can actually buy both of our books uh, and save yourself $10 because they're $20 each. You can buy both for 30 And I'll even put in a, a special deal for your listeners. If they put in Volk, call small, small letters, V-O-L-K, which is our last name, Volk18, Volk18, uh, they can get another $5 off. Oh, and fantastic. So they can buy both books for $25, which is a steal. And if you know anybody that has a child on the spectrum, uh, it would these two books would make uh, a heck of a Christmas gift because it will give them an insight into not only what it's like to raise a child with autism, but if they're raising a child with autism, it will make them feel very much not alone. And they will realize that a lot of the feelings they have are not the feelings that they're the only ones having because my book does not make me out as, you know, the greatest parent of all time. I mean, I flat out explain some pretty hard feelings that I had and what I was going through. Um, And I can tell you that Dylan's book, I always joke when I hand people Dylan's book that you can feel free to throw away the parent of the year application as you're reading it. Um, (laughs) Because Dylan lays out exactly what his life has been like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, and it's also very sad. It, it takes you, my book takes you from childhood to, to Dylan's 22nd year when he leaves a program in Utah and moves to Austin all by himself uh, to live on his own. So wait a minute. And all so about- Dylan was raised in, in, was he raised in Maine? He was raised in Maine, but he has so been in. He's he now lived in Mo- moves from Maine to Austin. He Dylan has lived in Maine. He lived in. He went to a boarding school in South Carolina. He moved to Florida for a while. He then went to a, a program in Utah, where after he had a lot of run-ins with the law and uh-huh. was in a really really bad place, 
And then he spent two years in Utah where they saved his life, in my opinion. And um, you can read all about that adventure. Um, Dylan was headed to jail or dead. That's the path that he was on. And the people in Utah, I strongly believe, saved his life. And um, the book ends with Dylan moving to Austin to live on his own for the first time. And that's where the book ends. And then Dylan's book starts in mid-childhood, fourth, fifth grade, and takes you up through moving to Austin, his life in Austin, his subsequent involvement in drugs, and then his arrest and rehab and his getting out of rehab and moving to Los Angeles, where he now lives. Um, And I am very, very proud of him that he has now been uh, almost two years drug-free, completely clean, and I know that because I test him every single week. Okay. Which he's fine. He know he doesn't have a problem with that because he knows he needs to be held accountable, and um, he doesn't want to do drugs again. But the draw and the urge is still there. It's it's a very very powerful thing, and he talks very openly about um, what it's like to uh, to have a drug addiction, and and um, it's it was rough for us to read, to be honest with you, as parents, to read. Um, this, because you don't like, you know, if nobody on drugs goes home and tells their parents what they're doing. So for we right. didn't know about a lot of what he was doing until he wrote it in his book. And um, but we're really well, Dad, proud that he I was just want to take. To I just so want to go back just a, just a little bit because yeah, I got sure. a couple of questions yeah, for I you know. because one of the, as I was you know researching this topic for our show, yeah. uh, one of the things that I saw was that these children are usually bullied in school so did was was did dylan experience any bullying when he was in school dylan only experienced some bullying in his actually in his senior year of high school where he got basically cold cocked a couple times by some people that didn't really like him um and that was pretty much the extent of the bullying, and actually it's interesting that you asked that because we just did an interview yesterday together on another podcast, and they, they, the gentleman doing the interview asked that question, and Dylan gave an answer that I, I still learn about Dylan every time I'm with him, every time I speak with him, every time I do anything with him, I still learn more about this kid that I've spent 27 years of my life with, and... He said, you know, there are a lot of times in my life where I wish I had been bullied because Mm. then at least somebody was paying attention to me. I was Uh just ignored. And being ignored is, to me, is worse than being bullied. At least if you're being bullied, there's a way you could maybe turn it around into something positive. At least people are noticing you. And I was just completely ignored. And I felt like I didn't matter. And nobody... Nobody cared about me. And at least if you're bullied, somebody cares enough to bully about bully you, which is a very unusual perspective that I've never even heard him say. Um, and very sad. Um, but ties also back to a chapter in Chasing the Rabbit that I wrote about where Dylan, I went into Dylan's room one evening to 
put him to bed to, you know, say goodnight to him when he was 16. He was a sophomore. Yeah. And he looked up at me and he said, don't be surprised to, some, to come in some morning and see me hanging from the ceiling fan. Yeah. And I said, Dylan, why would you say something like that? And he said, because every day is worse than the day before. It's mm. not going to get any better. And there isn't one kid in that school that cares if I show up tomorrow. So what's the point? Mm. So wow. being I think ignored you express, is I like the way really you expressed, uh, It's one thing to be on the top of the high school food chain where you're a star of something in some way or when you are considered valuable in the eyes of the other high school students. But there are very few kids who fall into that category. So I can imagine he didn't feel that way. And to get to a point where he felt that it wasn't worth even being on earth anymore. No. He, he, he said even the kids that were the nerds or the unpopular kids usually had at least another unpopular kid that they could be friends with. And I had nobody. There was mm. nobody that I that cared about me. Mm. Um, in fact, we were we spoke at a local uh, middle school a couple of years ago, and this was very powerful. Somebody asked one of the boys, when we had the Q and A. A little boy asked um, Dylan what he's most afraid of. He's twenty seven <laughs> years old. He's been to jail in three different states. Wow. Um, you know, he's, he's been through an awful lot. And you know what his answer was? What? The school cafeteria. <laughs> the school Why? cafeteria. Is because for that, you get your food, you turn around, and you literally have the whole place looking at you. You have mm. like five seconds to decide where you're going to sit. And mm. if there isn't one single table that wants you to sit with them, that's terrifying. Mm. And that's where Dylan felt. He turned around, he would turn around with his food, and nobody, he knew that there wasn't one table that he would sit at that he would be welcomed. Wow. And, and at 20, that was, he, that was two years ago, so at 25 years old, he said that the scariest thing in his life was not going to jail repeatedly. It was going and turning around with his tray at the high school cafeteria. Mm. That's, that's something. Because <laughs> I think not only Dylan I mean, being related to that, I think there are other kids who, who, weren't, who don't have his disorder who can relate to that feeling and just imagine that's probably magnified by the fact that he had that disorder or that he has that disorder. Absolutely. Wow. And he talks about it. If you go to, if you go to his website, Chase, uh, badchoicesmakegoodstories.com, uh -huh. there's a fantastic video that he did this summer when we were in Denver where he talks about he actually uh, got fired at a camp for people with disabilities because of his disability, which, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't make stuff like that up, right? That's you can't make You and can't make that up, yeah. No, yeah, listen, no, there's a lot before of you go on, Before you, you go on, we're getting ready tried. to go into, into our, our second break. Okay, and I want to come back on the other side of that and talk a little more about that. But also, um, in our last segment, maybe start uh, giving our listeners some tips or suggestions, lessons learned from your uh, 
journey through the through the spectrum. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's time for you to take a sweet and honest look at your life. Tune into Living Within the Sweet Spot with your host, Nikki Klegel. Each week, Nikki invites you to call into the program where she will connect with each listener to show the power of God's love in every unique instance. There are gracious gifts and elements of power within each one of us. You just need to discover them and find your life's purpose. Live healthier and happier. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune into From the Inside Out. To reach Carla Walker or her guest today, call us at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Carla Walker from the Inside Out at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hey, thanks for back. Got Derek Volk on. on our show today talking about uh, right now talking about his book Chasing the Rabbit which is the story of uh, his journey and his family's journey with uh, his son Dylan as they were navigating the spectrum of autism and Dylan uh, excuse me Derek was just sharing a story with us uh, one story I want him to also share a quick story uh, about the hitchhiker uh, but also uh, a little bit about uh, uh the relationship with the siblings and uh, just give some lessons learned in this last segment that we have um, uh, before we end our show. So, Derek, go ahead. Well, yeah, thanks a lot. So, The Hitchhiker, there's a number of stories in 
chasing the rabbit and and in bad choices make good stories my life with autism that we 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 in our family call Dylan stories. They're classic Dylan stories, and The Hitchhiker is definitely one of them. So, uh, in a nutshell, Dylan, uh, one night came home, his curfew was 11.30, and so we used to lock the doors so that we, he couldn't come in after we fell asleep and miss curfew. So he would have to open, he would have to ring the doorbell. We didn't give him a key. He had to ring the doorbell. That way we knew he came in on time. And so the, the doorbell rings. I go downstairs. I'm in my underwear because I'm ready for bed. And so I'm in underwear and a T-shirt. And I open the door. Dylan walks in, walks right by me, and says, I made, it's 1129. And he says, I made curfew. Give her a ride home. And I look out the door, and there's a, a young woman, like 25 years old, standing there staring at me in my underwear. And... And so Dylan goes in the other room and sits down and turns the TV on. And so I call him over. I'm like, Dylan, Dylan, come back in here. Who's this? And he goes, oh, that's a hitchhiker. I picked her up. You need to give her a ride home. And I said, I'm not giving her a ride home. You give her a ride. Why would you give her a ride home? He goes, I can't. I had to make curfew. And I said, Dylan, making curfew means you come home and everybody's done and you're not telling me to give some girl a ride home. And he goes, well, what do you want me to do? And I go, well, go give her a ride home. Well, Dylan goes and gives this girl a ride home and comes back like an hour later. Now, she only lived in the next town. So he comes back at 1 o'clock in the morning or something, and I said, why did it take you so long to give this one woman a ride home? And he goes, oh, well, I had some other guys I had to give a ride home to. Well, it turns out he had dropped off like five friends at the stop sign <laughs> right up the street from our house. And he knew that when he came home that I wasn't going to bring this girl home and that I was going to make him do it, which then he could go then pick up his other friends and give them all a ride home. And by the time he came home at 1 o'clock in the morning, I was so exhausted and frankly impressed that he fooled me that well that I was like, you know what, fine, whatever, just go to bed. So that is the hitchhiker, and that's such a typical teenager story. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So, and then there's there's several other stories. This one where he brings home a runaway and hides her in the basement, and all kinds of crazy stories. So there's some really funny stories in in both the books, um, interspersed with some you know much more serious topics. Sure. Sure. So you were talking a little bit about the relationship between he and his siblings, um, uh, and with the with the girls. Uh, was there? Did they? I would imagine girls kind of nurtured him, but I've also seen that relationship where they get kind of cantankerous at sometimes. Um, was there any of that with Dylan? Yeah, there was. There was absolutely both of that, especially with Mariah, who was the oldest and closest in age to him. Okay. Um, yeah, she she looked out for him. She was more like a big sister, even though she was uh-huh. two and a half years younger. Um, te- his, her teachers would tell us that when she would hear some kind of noises in the hallway, she would kind of get up off her desk and go kind of peek out the window to see if it was Dylan. Um, so she always kind of kept an eye on him even though she was the younger sister. Okay. And she did a great job keeping an eye on her younger sisters. And, um, you know, Mariah, as it turns out, didn't know a whole lot about what we went through until the book was written. 
and neither did oh. the other sisters because we shielded them from a lot. Okay. Um, but they also knew that it was difficult being Dylan's sister and that we often spent 90% of our time and energy with 25% of our children. Yeah. Um, so you would ask for some tips and so forth. And so yeah. one of the, one of the tips that I always give people is a couple of things uh, when it comes to parenting and that I think helped us get through it because it was not easy. Um, one thing we did is we made a conscious effort to give each other time with the girls. So I would take Dylan skiing. I would take him to play golf, which got him out of the house for five hours. We would go on guys weekends where I would just take him somewhere for the weekend just to give Amy a break with she could take the girls and they would go get their nails done and go to a princess Disney movie and do all those mm -hmm. kinds of things. And then on the other side, my wife was very kind enough to let me coach my daughters in softball. So I coached them in Little League and All-Stars and middle school and travel. And that gave me a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with my girls and a break from Dylan and, and time to build those relationships. So if there's anything, if you're a couple, if there's anything you can do to give each other time with the other siblings, that's very important. And then the other thing that I always, funny kind of thing I always told people is, if you can get a, a night out alone with, with your spouse, don't mm -hmm. talk about your kid with the disability. Give yourself okay. a break. We used to have a no Dylan rule. We would not, if we got a date night, we were not allowed to talk about Dylan. We had to talk about anything else because once you start talking about Dylan, all the emotions that come along with Dylan would be there. And mm -hmm. before you knew it, Dylan might as well be on your date night and the whole mood of that evening changes. Okay. And so we made a real conscious effort to not talk about Dylan when, when it was, we had to build a relationship outside of Dylan. You can't let, you can't let your child with a disability control and monopolize your entire relationship because someday it's just going to be the two of you. And right. hopefully, and if all you ever did is talk about that kid, then he, what do you get to talk about once he's gone or once he's out of the house or once he's wherever he is? Right. So those are two quick tips that I always uh, give parents. Oh, and one other thing. If you ever go to a teacher conference yeah. or an IEP meeting, and this is for people with, with a child with a disability, always bring somebody that has, doesn't have a personal relationship with your kid because you go into these IEP meetings and in any, anybody knows in a negotiation, the person that's most in, emotionally involved loses. Mm -hmm. So when yeah. you go into that teacher conference or IEP meeting, you immediately are at a huge disadvantage because there's a 100% chance guarantee that you are more emotionally involved in your kid than the teachers or the, or the ed tech or anybody else in that school. So bring somebody, not your mother or your aunt or your sister or somebody who also loves your child. Bring like a neighbor or a coworker, someone who, who likes your kid, but not that much. They could live with you. They could live without them. Because you need somebody there that's listening without emotion. Because I can't tell you how many times we walked out of a teacher meeting and we had a we had hired a private advocate eventually and he would say, What do you think when they said this? And Amy and I completely missed it because we were so emotionally involved uh, that we would miss details. Yeah. So bring somebody to take notes who's not emotionally involved. That's my other tip. Yeah. What about blaming yourself for your child's disorder? 
Well, um, that's, I, we didn't blame ourselves. I mean, we blame our, we certainly blamed ourselves a lot for how we handled it. I mean, we didn't yes. blame ourselves for the fact that he had autism, but yeah. we certainly second-guessed ourselves and Monday morning quarterbacked ourselves a lot, and, and we still yeah. do. There are still a lot of things that we regret, and there's things in my book, Chasing the Rabbit, that you'll read about that I'm not proud of, um, that are kind of embarrassing. Um, but I felt that if I don't share everything, then the good and the bad, then it, the book would end up seeming very insincere. Um, so what we, what we, what I did discover over time is, especially when I wrote the book, as uh-huh. I read the book, I realized there were a lot of times where I was angry at Dylan for just yeah. being Dylan. And I had to learn to forgive him for something that he never needed to apologize for. Right. Um, right. Because he changed our whole family dynamic. We could never have friends over. We could never go out with other families because we never knew when he was going to have a meltdown or say something completely inappropriate and embarrass all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that left us very isolated. And I was, frankly, pretty ticked off at him for a long time. And it took me a long time to get over that. And it took me a long... I always loved my son. I love my son to death. But it took me a long time to like him. And mm. now it's, I, I, I was just telling somebody the other day that it's really nice that when I spend time with Dylan, when Dylan and I go and travel and we get done our speaking engagement and do, you know, we do our keynote address and sign books right. and all that and right. we go back to the airport and we go our different directions. <clears throat> you know, he gets on one plane to go back to LA and I get on a plane to come to Maine. I'm actually joyfully sad. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm sad that we're being going different directions. And for a long time, I was just glad that the kid, I was happy when he left the room, much less left yeah. the state, left the state. Yeah. And now it's really nice to know that I'm, I'm sad that we're going different directions. Um, yeah. so that's, that, but that took a long time. I had to mourn the son that I thought I was going to have so yeah. I could love the one that God gave me. Oh, that's wonderful. I think that's a great place to end that. And uh, I want to thank you, Derek, for uh, uh, your story and sharing your story with us today. I just want to give you an opportunity again to tell us where we can buy Chasing the Rabbit. And you, you also can, yep. gave the gave my listeners a, um, a little discount as well. So if you can give that information just one more time. I will. So the easiest thing to do is go to badchoicesmakegoodstories.com. That's the name of Dylan's book, which is kind of a funny title, badchoicesmakegoodstories.com. And you can buy both of our books. There's a bundle package, which allows you to buy both books. And if you put in the code VOLK18, small letters, V-O-L-K, 1818, you will get a $5 discount on whatever you buy, whether you buy one book or two books or whatever you buy. Um, so, And you can watch Dylan's video and check him out. And uh, if anybody has any opportunities and would like us to come speak, we are more than happy to come speak anywhere, anytime, um, and tell our story. And you will not get a better speaker than Dylan. We, we give a 100% guarantee that if Dylan is not one of the most popular speakers at your conference, we'll give you a full money back all right. Well, thank you so much for your talk today. And uh, I'm sure you. people are going to get your book. Uh, 
Also, just a little quick programming note before we go off. Next week, we're going to re-air, rebroadcast the um, Enjoying Your Life's Purpose with Elmer Lucille, Mrs. Elmer Lucille Allen. That's my 87-year-old guest. Uh, And then on January 1st, we're going to re-air the second part of the Exploring Your Life's Purpose uh, with the Abraham Maslow content as well. This has been a wonderful show. I think a great uh, way to go into the final couple weeks of celebrations of of the life of Jesus Christ during Christmas, as well as to celebrate the new year and get off to a really good start. And I want to thank all my listeners for being uh, a part of the show. We couldn't do this without you. I hope you have a wonderful, happy holiday. Uh, Give your kid a hug. Give your husband a hug, your spouse. Uh, Be good to yourselves. Love each other. And I'll see you in January. Bye. Thank you for listening to From the Inside Out. Be sure to join your host, Cara D. Walker, for another episode of the program next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have the best week. Uh